do you actually answer questions and then ask me? I mean, there's like, ask me anything. I mean, do you have the ability and the experience to actually respond, Josh? I do. And I think we should do a podcast episode that simulates that same thing. Oh, my God. Mm. Captain cool. Segway. Captain, you, you, and the timing was impeccable. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, Ace. Entry music. It's the Bob and Josh show. All right, here we go. Episode 239. Back to the basics for us. Back to some things we love. We love quick hitting questions and our ability to move on. It also helps keep Bob from doing Bob things. So this is part one of our Agile Potpourri series. That's right, Potpourri. Before we jump in, just a reminder, we would love to hear some more questions from you. So hit us up on Discord, on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you find us, get them to us and we'll feed them into the next couple of episodes. Before we jump in, keep some eyes open on Kazi. New website, new offerings, classes, all kinds of fun stuff. Also, you can hire me. That's right. I look forward to that request of Josh. We could use your help and I am ready to go. All right, here we go. On to the episode. This is from uh, Sharman Gesemi, who, if I remember correctly, is a scrum master, mostly a scrum master coach from the Toronto area. Mm -hmm. So th thank you, Sharman. Uh, he occasionally attends my moose herd as well. Uh, and I know he's listened uh, to the podcast. Um, and let me read this, everyone. So well, thank you. Before we go like, there. Um, oh, oh, fine. I just wanted to do geez. one of the really good points Bob had this morning when we met about what topic we're going to talk about is the fact that we've gone relatively deep in some things. And, and I think Bob's words where we waxed and waned, we're not a moon, waxed poetically. I forget the exact words that he used. Philosophically, uh, we, we've gotten, we metacasters, we've gotten soft and squishy. Uh, wow. And then, I mean, the good news is Josh and I uh, reflect a lot, mm -hmm. actually, on the Metacast. So soft and squishy is soft topics. Things like, and they're all important. So yeah. there's no apology about the importance of what we've been talking about. Exactly. But it's, we've talked a lot about, you know, safety and layoffs and uh, negotiation. And mm -hmm. and uh, let's get, we wanted to get back to brass tacks. Ooh, yeah. Brass, Get back to tactics. Get back to, right? How do you do blarg? Yeah, the things that you're wrestling with every freaking day. Yeah. And don't let us wax philosophically, you know, or ramble. One of us rambles incoherently much of the time. Don't let that happen. <laughs> I, I so. can't. Not, I'm fighting so hard not to say anything. I know. I know. I don't know which one it is. I, yeah, I have no. No one knows. No I, one knows. I, I have no recollection of that event. Okay, so back to the origin of today's discussions. Sorry about that, Bob. All right, you ready? Oh, you ready? Yeah. So there was just a comment that said, "Thank you, Bob and Josh, for your fantastic podcast over the years. Here's some topics, challenges that might be worth talking about. If uh, so, the thank you, thank you in advance, Charmin, for that. and anyone who's listening in." Throw some, you'll get a flavor for what we're looking for, hopefully in the questions. And we could, I'd love to take some in real time. So first one up, how to get people to join online calls with camera on. 
How do you okay. do that? So there's two things there. Um, I generally start back to team norms and mm-hmm. put that as a non-negotiable. Now, what I have done with various teams is like stand-ups. Um, stand-ups, stand-ups. Maybe we it's okay to not have the camera on, but when it's a when it's a a refinement or something like that, sprint planning, whatever it might be, like cameras are on. The one issue that COVID has created is that I have worked with folks that have a strong desire not to have their image captured in any digital fashion. And you have to respect that. You can't force someone into that. Now then the discussion becomes, is that personable? Is that personable? Is that person capable of working with your team and being an effective team member without having the camera on? And that's a discussion you have to have. That doesn't mean you boot them out, but I think you have to have that discussion and decide if that's a non-negotiable. And if so, then work with that person. But I, but I've had folks that I've worked with where they've grabbed me and they pulled me aside and say, Hey, listen, you might think I'm a conspiracy theory nut or whatever, and you, you can think whatever you want. But I do everything I can to not have my image captured in any way because I don't know what happens with it once it's gone. And I I didn't think anything of that person besides, okay, I got to respect exactly what this person is feeling and make sure I support them. Now, that was pre-COVID, pre-remote, all, all day, every day. Um, but going back to the start, it's got to be this is a team norm. This is what we do. I mean, I, I, re- I'm going to react to that example you gave Josh and I might, um, if that came up in the hiring process and I would hope that I would surface that in the hiring process, then I would not, to me, that, that would be a showstopper nowadays. Yeah. If, if I was in a company and we're, and we're talking zero camera, right? Like zero digital right. representation. So, yeah you know, eight hours a day, five days, whatever it is, <laughs> add, add per- perpetuity, there's no cameras. So in the hiring process, I would, I would probably say no, if, if, if it was important. Now, if it was, you know, an existing, you know, COVID and existing hire, I would have a really hard conversation with them. And, and it's not like a hundred percent, but I would try to navigate with them. There's got to be circumstances where you can collaborate with your team. And part of that collaboration is your facial expressions. Part of that ex- collaboration is, is face to face. Like you and I, mm-hmm. it would be like, look at the Metacast and the quality of the Metacast. If you weren't seeing us, uh, I, again, I, I'm not saying it's yeah. no comments, Josh. No, oh, sorry. No, no smart count. But I, I think it's, I think it's pretty serious There's a- to go zero. So to retort, you're going to disagree with me. I can hear it in your voice. Well, there's a really good comment in the chat where David asked, does engagement equal camera on? I think generalized. Yes. But that person was a fantastic member of the team. And if I were to have that sit down discussion with him and he explained the situation, the first thing I would have to do as a leader is say like, okay, how do we work around this? What do we do? You have to be hyper ultra engaged without your camera on. Can you do that? Let's see how that works. 
And another thing that we had to do was we had to have that discussion with the team so that everybody knew and understood that this person was uncomfortable because in the world of phones, cameras get snapped all the time. Cameras, geez, oh, Pete's, I can't talk today. Pictures get snapped all the time in random places. And just to allow that person to have the respect that they're asking for, um, that's something that we had to work on. Now, again, that was pre-COVID, so it wasn't the same, but I don't know that camera on equals engagement. To me, it's one of those things where a subset of people ruin it for all of the others. Um, what typically happens is a very disengaged person has the camera off. There have been times where I've been very engaged with the camera on and sorry, God, Bob, can you like reach through the screen and slap me where I've been very engaged with the camera? Thank you. I have been very engaged with the camera off. So yeah, it's a, it's a, that situation is tricky, but that's, I've only ever had that happen twice with the hundreds of people that have been on teams of mine. So the typical solution is going to be, you have to have the discussion about why it's important. This is a team norm. This is who we are. This is how we win. Right. So right. I need you to step up and be a team member. Yeah, we can spend a lot of, a lot of time on that edge case, but that, that's, it's an edge case. So Bob, I think you and I are both. So I, I, I trigger, I triggered a little bit, but I meant it. Yeah. Uh, getting back to how the answer from, from me, I do this in my classes. I, uh, so it's part of team agreements. So I, I run virtual classes and as a prerequisite to the class, I talk about cameras being on, um, if someone uh, would register for the class and pay me and they would, and then later on they would reach out to me and say, I have a problem with the camera. I would be like that. I understand fully. Um, and they said zero. I would say, that's, that's great. Here's your money back. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not going to work out. Right. And it's not just engagement. You, you went to engagement. I also go to like communication channels. There's that old study that talks about there's words, there's inflection, and then there's body language. Right. And words carry like 10% of the communication between you and I and intonation adds another 20 or 30%. So 60, so an additional 60% of the communication channel is in visual cues and body language. So now you could see that I'm engaged or disengaged, but you could also, if we were doing backlog refinement, you could see me getting like, if I'm rolling my eyes, when, when Sally is pointing, right. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged or disengaged, but I'm having, I'm having, you know, a problem with my behavior. I'm having a problem with my, uh, you know, my team norms. And you could see that as opposed to not seeing it, that. So I, I want that in the class. We do a lot of breakout groups. Uh, we do simulations and things like that. And, and the face to face. Now I don't dictate if someone wants to feed a cat, they want to have a lot, turn your camera off for goodness sakes. But the majority of the time, and you're not doing it for me, you're doing it for your team. Or, or in this case, the class. Uh, I don't think I've ever had anyone not, and maybe I have a narrow audience of lead, you know, the attendees, but I, it's never been an issue for me if I, you know, and, and I haven't had 100% cameras on either. So we hit, we hit a sweet spot. I think I triggered on the zero, Josh. Do you know what I, I mean? I, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I just have this moment where I was presented with a counterpoint where I felt this responsibility to support this person yep. 
through that. And so I just wanted to put it out there and make sure people understood there is an edge case, very slim percentage that that would actually happen, but you need to be thoughtful of it. But in 99% of the teams and jobs that are out there, it's got to be one of those things where, yes, David, engagement starts with camera on. It doesn't mean engagement equals it being on, but it starts with it. So that's the stance you have to take. Yeah. And again, don't please don't take Metacasters, don't take me as being instantaneous. I would try to, you know, depending on the person, but in general, I would I would try to be very patient and guide them through the process, if you will. Uh so you know, right, so, so I'm not gonna imme- I'm not gonna immediately fire someone. Yeah. I mean you give them a half hour and then fire them. No, I'm gonna walk them through and yeah, the why, like you were going to, yeah. Josh, right? You were talking about it's not just because you know, I think if someone is saying, well, camera's on because they say so, that's that's absolutely the wrong thing. There's some there's some really, you know, sort of important whys behind it, I think. Yeah. There's a All question right. in the chat about introverted team members and that they shut down when, when they're on camera. I, I'm an introvert. I understand that feeling. So is Bob. And one of the fascinating things about the post-COVID era is the energy that is sucked from you when you're on continual meetings. And at my last place that I was at, we actually had meetings where we all agreed this is going to be a camera off meeting because we've all been in meetings the whole day. And like, we just need a break because it's one of those things where the way I reason it is that you're always on, you don't have a chance to relax, push back in the chair, do whatever, think about something, look out the window, whatever it might be, you're always on. And that takes energy and focus to really be engaged the whole time. So you have to respect that. But also, unfortunately, it's the harsh reality of the world that we live in right now. And the approach that I take, very similar to Bob, is you present the facts of why this is important. We aren't doing this just to do this. We aren't doing this to drive you crazy. These are the reasons why we believe this is important. And we believe you're a very important member of this team. So here's how we think is best to maximize it. And I'll help you, I'll support you, but we've got to work through this because if you can't, then our team's not going to be as strong as it can be. Real quickly, Josh, I want to sort of plus one to what you said, but on the introvert, I think pre-COVID, COVID, post-COVID, we need to honor our introverts by making sure that they have private time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have personal time to recharge, to work alone. Uh, one of my pet peeves pre-COVID, Agile, there there was this notion in the Agile space, you saw this, I mean, you did this at the dude to some degree, is everyone is in an open space, right? Everyone, you know, we're going to have pods and everyone's going to be out there. Um, and that's great. So we're collaborative, but it didn't honor the introverts. Yeah. It didn't honor the introverts need for quiet time, for space time mm-hmm. for themselves. Uh, some places did some places had like rooms that introverts could, could go to. So it's yes, cameras on, but we also need to remind ourselves, you know, that introverts and it's a majority, I think of the technology population are introverts. We, we need to remind ourselves to it's not bad to be alone. It's not bad to, even in an eight hour day, I'm not asking for cameras on eight hours a day. Yeah, right? that's It's a... just for relevant meetings. Of course you should have some time. Yep. Okay. Next question from 
uh, from Charmin. Let's see, what is it? Having a scrum team of members across different time zones, not being able to include everyone in all team meeting. Uh, I like, you know what, Josh, real quickly, and I want you to, to weigh in. I like this tactical focus. You know that? It, yeah, it's I, fun. It's nice. It's quick hitters. It's not. It's nice. It's quick hitters. They're not easy questions necessarily, but it's very different from what we've been doing. So oh, hit I love it. it. Hit it. Time zones, distributed teams, and getting people together. It takes a whole lot of effort. Um, and the more diverse the time zones are, obviously, the harder it is. But there is a time, there is a way to make that happen, even if it's just for the stand-up. And at that point, I think you also have to start to discuss, is there a way to remake the teams, to reshape the teams so that you minimize the time zone difference? That's what I ended up doing at Dude Solutions, where we just created separate scrum teams and we allowed them to operate, which was most effective for them and most effective for everybody else. So if you can rearrange the teams to minimize the number of time zones people are working across, if not, then you've got a lot of hard work to do in trying to find ways to actually get people chatting together. Even if it's just for the stand-up, that's at least at least a good start. See, I disagree with you, Josh. You made oh, it sort of you made it sort of like it's it's Charmin's job or someone's job to to create the landscape. And I think it is a team agreement kind of thing or an instantiation kind of thing. But at the end of the day, be a freaking this is gonna sound brutal, but be it be a freaking agile team. You're spread around the planet, suck it up and and figure out how you're gonna collaborate. Right now, I, I asked for volunteers to help me with my blogs. So a real example, uh, I, I put on the Agile Moose and I asked for some people to help me repackage my blog so it's more approachable, uh, so it's more searchable, whatever, uh, content. And I put it out there and maybe, uh, nine people signed up to volunteer. Uh, and they don't know each other. I know everyone. <laughs> they don't, they heart, not, not all of them know each other. Uh, what's the, what's the, uh, the spread, the spread is, uh, Australia, uh, some U S folks, Egypt, Europe, couple people in Europe. So probably from a time zone perspective, that's about as distributed as you can. There might be one person from India in there and to their credit, they're, they're starting to figure out how are we going to meet? And it's a challenge for them, right? They put, they have a kickoff. They want to have a kickoff brainstorming session uh, to form as a team. And it's like, crap, you know, this is going to be a challenge. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm proud of is they're not, they're not looking for a manager to fix it, or they're not looking for reorganizations. I mean, that would help, uh, but they're, they're addressing it. And I, I, I have that same view for the team, put it on the team, solve that problem yourself. Can the organization make it easier? Yes. Should the organization make it easier? Yes. But while you're there, I mean, be a, be a damn team and figure, and, and it's not, I'm not trying to be, and figure that out. You have, I mean, you're smart. Figure out how to be an effective team. The one tool that you can use to do that, and it it is more effort, is moving to exclusively asynchronous work and chat and getting really good at confluence or whatever it might be of creating ways for people to pool information from previous discussions or anything like that, rather than having to be in a specific spot at a specific 
at jeez, oh, Bob. You were having issues, man. I know. Were Were you doing a little a little nippy? Like, you did, well, what? no, it's just water, unfortunately. Okay, okay, unfortunately. I'm just yeah. Uh, All right. So one of the challenges a lot of companies have is they've built their operations around meetings. So information is transferred. You have to be in a specific meeting at a specific time to see slash hear a specific slide. And if you weren't there, poof, it's gone. And you hear about it like third, fourth hand. So I've done a lot of work with companies to try and get them to create everything in the written word so that everything can be pooled yeah. from it. There's a lot of tools that will capture all of the audio and translate it into text. So that way, anybody that's not in a meeting you can quickly scan it. You don't have to go through and like watch the entire hour to find yeah. that one thing that's important, but there's a ton of tools companies can use to make that happen to facilitate it. But you have to flip everything to, you have to enable that information to be pooled by somebody whenever they need it. Can I, again, yes, but, I, but I'm going to disagree a little bit. That's for a team that's running. So I think when you're starting, you can, you know, part of starting is getting to know each other, mm -hmm. forming team norms, uh, sharing a little bit. We're forming a team. I don't know if you can do that by checking into a repository. Right. Yeah, you're right. Right. So now once we form, once we figure out that we're not going to meet, to Stephen's point, the daily scrum doesn't have to happen in the morning East Coast time. Once we figure out, you know, we're going to do daily, if we're going to have daily stand-ups or once a week stand-ups, they're going to happen this time one week and this time the other. So we're being fair with the distribution, then I think you can do the tool thing. But make sure that you you start up the team well. Yeah. And I, I think you can only do that face-to-face, -face, fortunately or unfortunately, which means the team's going to have to stretch a little bit. Oh, you know one cool thing? I just thought about Charmin, the guy that was asking these questions. He's actually on that volunteer team. And guess <laughs> what he's And guess what he's doing? He's he's actually leading the effort, and it's not easy to pull people together to yeah. uh, to do a kickoff, to do that liftoff for the team. Sounds good. All right, next one. Did we miss anything there that you wanted to cover? Probably. I'm sure we did. All right, hold on. Next question then. How to deal with losing a scrum master or a PO with minimal impact to the team? What do you think, Josh? Well, there's two answers there. They're not one, the same, right? They're they're not. I kind of think they do are. Do you want to do you want to tease them apart, or do you want to handle them? Uh, I'm going to handle them together, and then nope. if you want to okay. break them out, okay, that's fine. And I think, unfortunately, there's two options. One, they weren't very good, so the loss doesn't really matter. Oh, that's that's not very nice. Factual, but, but I'm calling an ace yeah. and ace. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, or they were really good and they've done a really good job and the team can carry on pretty darn smoothly for two, three, four sprints. Now, there's obviously stuff that lives in the middle, but if POs and scrum masters are really, really good, which many of them really, really are, then there's that runway that's out in front of it that I've had this happen to teams and we look at everything that they have and like we're good for four sprints we got to have somebody before that fifth sprint but we're okay to stay on the glide path that we've established as a team because we've worked our tail off and we aren't 
in a reactionary just-in-time planning mode where everything's always a scramble. So those are my two points. Bob, I'm sure there's more for you in the middle. Well, I one, before I tease it, I, I do think there's a maturity. I agree with you. So if I have a you know high-performing team, um, and that's a real that not there's not a lot of those in the universe but the say right. i have a high performing team then it changes i think my response drastically so i'm not going to to me that's an edge case and i don't want to talk about it right like you you that's because there's not a lot of those uh then i want to tease the roles apart i think the, i think the product owner role since it's this business facing role and the scrum master they're they're not the same they're important roles but they're not the same role it's the ask role it's the navigate value delivery role, and it's sort of how we operate, the facilitative role, the coaching role, um, and, and they're very different. I think the team could probably lean into doing without the scrum master or scrum mastering themselves, even maybe at a mod maybe not an, a beginning team or a new team, but you know, a moderately experienced yeah. team. They, yeah. they could probably figure that out. Even you, you were saying, well, they could run for three or four sprints without a PO perhaps. I, that to me is an alarm. They might, but what if things start shifting, right? What if requests start shifting? What if priorities start shifting? Not that that would ever happen in the real, in the real world after a day. But so I think, I think the PO is a really hard thing for the team to, you know, to product owner themselves. Uh, I'd, I'd rather do that. The other thing I'm concerned about is there's almost like this devaluing, right? Yeah, how do you deal with it? Like they don't have value. Uh, the roles, like one, my one response. It's so if we. The question is phrased like, you know, how does the team accommodate those roles? How does the team replace those roles? My default response is they don't. It it requires an emergency. It's an emergency impediment, and the organization needs to step up and find a PO right now for this team and they need to find a scrum master. Now, the PO has more, it's more urgent to get a PO in there right away. Uh, and a scrum master has maybe slightly less urgency because the team can do that for just a, a little bit of time. But the organization needs to respond. I, I don't want the team, again, remember there's this outlier, really high performance team. People put themselves out of a job. I'm not talking about those because they're kind of unicorny. I, I want to talk about mo most teams. So get off your butt organization and fill those roles. Yeah, I didn't talk about the thing that happens across the rest of the organization. I was talking about specifically that team, but Bob is 100% right. You have to get that job posted and start recruiting instantly. And what I end up doing with teams is saying, okay, let's establish what we're gonna do as a team the way I've always done it is if one of those roles reports to me, then I step in and I fill in that role and I become the scrum master. I become the product owner. If I'm the, the head of whatever it might be, then I step in and handle that. And I do that. I'm not going to be as good as the person that's, that's there every day, but I can at least help them limp along. Now, the one thing that Bob said is something that I really push on my leaders which I consider the scrum master and product owners to, to be is that ultimately your job is to put yourself out of a job. Now that never happens, but what that does is you are continually influencing and educating the members of your team to start to think like those roles. Yeah. 
So yeah. again, it doesn't mean they're rock stars and they've done it, but they've at least started the process so the team doesn't panic. And uh, yes, it's still an urgent need that needs to happen, but you need to stop the panic and you stop the panic by not allowing it to happen the previous months or years by having those folks work the way they are. And so the way I've always done it is whoever's responsible for that role swings in and fills that. And that's also one of those yep. things that's always a kick in the butt for that person to make sure they understand the urgency of this getting hired because they're doing it. So now it's not just hurting this other team that's over here, but it's hurting them hurting in air quotes because they are unable to do the job they're supposed to do 100% of the time. So that does create an urgency within the organization because it does yep. flow upstream and Josh isn't going to be able to do this. And I've had talks with CXOs and said, okay, so I've lost a couple of scrum masters or whatever. I'm going to cut this part out of my job because I need to go support these teams. And so it's felt pretty broadly when it's handled like that. One thing I should clarify on what I was saying, I'm not talking about scrum master as a meeting note keeper or a meeting taker. Yeah. And I'm not talking about a product owner as a backlog generator. I'm talking about a full function product owner or a full function scrum master doing every aspect of their role. So you can talk yourself into if they just schedule meetings, oh, the team can do it. Of course the team can do that. But you're missing so much other nuance of what a scrum mm -hmm. master, what a great scrum master does. So that's actually the, you know, are you, they lost a great scrum master. That's a big loss. They lost a great product owner. It's not just the backlog. It's how are they handling the entire organization? Yeah. How are they, how are they navigating, you know, the, you know, all these priorities? How are they making great value decisions? How are they managing expectations? I mean, there's a lot of nuance to those roles. Um, and that's, that's why I'm saying, you know, you need to get, it's like get a professional firefighter, right? You, yes, you can go get a fire extinguisher at Sam's club or something, or you can get a bucket of water, but if you have a real, you want, you want professionals doing, you want a professional team. And I think you want professionals in those roles. You ready for the next one, Josh? Yeah. I just do want to hit a thing that, um, Steven brought up in the chat about splitting POs across teams. And I agree. I am a staunch um, fighter for one PO, one team. Good scrum masters can cover multiple teams. So I think there's a difference there. Um, but it does open the door, as Stephen said, to funding issues of, well, you, you know, you kind of made this happen with one scrum master instead of two. Like maybe we just don't spend that money again next year. And that's why step one is get the job open and funded and all that stuff. And it's not even funded. Because you can say we've been funding this position for years, so we just need to backfill. It's not a new fund or anything so, like that. So are you saying the PO, one PO per team? Is that I, That's how I operate, and that's what I've seen work best. So I'm going to fight okay. for it. So I've seen a different – I mean, again, it's budget-driven. Mm -hmm. I've seen a product owner take two teams, no more. If, if the streams of work were similar – in some instances, the, the 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 value streams or the individual team streams were similar enough work in a multi-team contributing fact that you could have a product owner balance two teams. Uh, I, I and budget is one of the constraints for that, right? Uh, but but if there's two different products, like it's I don't know what would be um, you know <laughs> a toaster and and a blender, then then it doesn't. Those are two totally different pro products. And it would be really hard to do that. All right. Uh, next question. Let me, let me get it. 
And this is Sharman's last question. When doing, when doing high-level feature estimation at the beginning of a project, is it okay not to include all team members and go with only a few? I like, I like his questions today. They're making me think. I say what yes. I say yes because that's how I do it. <laughs> is it? Yeah. So when so when it's higher I'm, level, I like today. I'm I'm disagreeing yeah. with you a lot. So no, make your case so I yeah. can cut so I can cut you off at the knees. Ooh, wow. Okay. Aggressive or today. At the, or at the and ankles. For for epic level items, which is what I use when I forecast out like the next year or something like that. So these are things that take anywhere from two sprints to a quarter. So it's that type of sizing. I exclusively do it with architects, um, a handful of like technical leaders that are out there along with product leadership because I don't want us to get down into the weeds. We're not trying to get down into the weeds because again, the likelihood that these things are actually going to happen is still up in the air. Yes, we think we're going to do it, but to Bob's point that he made to me 10, 15 minutes back is something might change. Things might change. So I, I do not invest the entire team with things that are still relatively deep in what I call the fog. So yes, they're out there. We think uh, they're going to happen, but it could come, it could go. We aren't totally sure yet as it gets to, within a quarter. So once it's six sprints away, that's when I bring the team in and say like, okay, we have a pretty good track record of once it makes it to yep. like six sprints out, it's going to happen. So that's when I bring the team in and that's how I handle it just to make sure that we're not overspending, over committing on something that's still relatively far out there in the fog and could not happen. It's so, one of those it's one of those forgotten metaphors from the Metacast, from the archives of the Metacast of you bringing up the fog. I haven't heard that in a long time. I like yeah. that. I like the fog. I'm, I'm not smiling to make fun of you, Josh. I'm smiling because <laughs> I just like that metaphor. Uh, why do I disagree? I, it's some, I agree with what you said. I'm thinking in things like inclusiveness, right? Uh, vision feedback, mining people that, who unexpected people for ideas, right? Not just the architects. There might be an idea out there about feasibility or alternatives or options. Uh, I'm also thinking of optimizing it so it's not a waste of time. You, you said something like, I don't want to go in the weeds. Well, then it's the default. Oh, they're going to take it into the weeds. Well, what if we, they, what if we facilitate it so it doesn't go there? What if we just have positive transparency at a team level of where are we going and, 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 and sort of sharing that? And it's very efficient. What if we could do that? Uh, and that's, that's what I'm, where I'm leaning in. Uh, now, if we can't do that, then, then I would lean into your approach. But I'm wondering if we could, like, would the benefits outweigh the dangers from a whole team perspective? And my gut is telling me that it might. It might. Yeah, my counterpoints are um, there there's things that happen with large teams and it ultimately what I believe corrects itself with trust as teams grow and as the capability for one human to not be in every meeting and every discussion across the board 
teams get to that point where they can't. And so everybody wants to be in every meeting because they don't trust it as being done well. So that's when you, as a part of the leader, as the leader, helping the team scale, you have to have really hard discussions about, listen, you have to accept the reality that there's going to be code written that you're not going to see. You're not going to know what happens, but you know that we've built a strong enough culture that you can trust it's going to happen well, because otherwise people stop doing things because they're, because they're in every meeting. So the other thing, the way I combat the points that you have is that as we do that large size and we, we start to identify the big questions and the big challenges that are out there that we don't have an answer to. So those actually show up on that next six sprint view before the actual feature does of, we know we have to figure this thing out and there's not an architecture team that goes and solves it. It lands on a team. So they have to figure it out. So they start to be a part of the solution to that unknown bit. So they start to understand the challenge of that feature that's coming and they help make it a reality. So I am not a fan. I don't believe in there's a services team or an architecture team that builds things that then it like brings down from upon high and says, teams, you can use this now because we've built right. it. Right, right. You, you just handled what part of the solution. So we're arguing about when mm -hmm. to some degree, right? I, I just want it to be that the earliest appropriate moment to get the team yeah. engaged yep. in an efficient way. And not for me, it's so that, I mean, I want to actually, I, I want to, I want to grab the brains of the team mm -hmm. and get them in the game because I think that creates better solutions, more, better understanding, more energy at a team level, right? More empowerment, more energy. So I, I'm, I don't, I don't know when that is. It's probably different for different streams and different yeah. products and different companies, right? Yeah. yeah. And at various scales, um, it's one of those things because you, you want to maximize what people do best and you want to enable them to, to, to do that. Yep. But you also need to have them understand the full context of everything that's happening and everything that's going on. You have to get clarity for them. Otherwise they're going to do what they do best, but maybe it's going to be misaligned because you didn't do a good enough job of helping them get context. And part of what we're talking about and Bob is really hitting it is this is a huge piece of the context around what this is and why it is and how we're going to solve yep. it and do all those things. So, it's the, I actually view it as the, the similar to some of the other things in agile, what's the last responsible moment yep. that you can do that for small teams. Yep. It might be at the very beginning for really large teams. It might be six yep. sprints out or whatever it might be. So you have to figure whatever out it is. what that is. It's not easy. There's hey. no silver bullet. Uh, did you ever write up the fog? That yeah. sort of, did you? Mm -hmm. Did you have a link to it or something? Did you put it on? I, I think you did something. Like I that. have in the past, and we branded it the Agile Donut. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I remember. Okay. And I but actually I mean, own you... the AgileDonut.com. So it's one of those things that's on my back burner. Of hey, I really need to turn this into something. Okay. Well, I wasn't well, twisty. I wasn't, but but that was a yeah. good. That's a good idea, and it really is not. It's not a framework. It's sort of a it's a metaphor or a mindset thing. Mm -hmm. So that's the end of uh, Sharman's questions. We hit, we nailed four of them. Did anything come up in chat or do you want to close this? No, I think we're good. We're 50 minutes in. Did we actually declare this? What issue, what, what the title of this episode was, Josh? 
Well, we loosely refer to this as agile potpourri, but it sounds like it's. Did we, we say that in the beginning? I yeah, I don't know if we said that. Could you I say can do that it in again, the intro. Josh? No, could you say that again? I just want to. Potpourri. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Potpourri. Potpourri. <laughs> yeah, we need. We need. I just. It just makes me smile for whatever the, reason. The, the only image I have of potpourri is in my grandmother's bathroom. There was this like yeah, little a... bowl of, of things and it was like dried leaves and flowers and things. I'm like, what the I know, you know what it, but it, it and it I, smells good. But then if you keep it for like, what I noticed is if you keep it for 25 years, it sort of <laughs> loses something, right? It just starts to smell <laughs> like dust. Exactly. <laughs> and look like dust as well. <laughs> All right. So Metacasters. So this is part one. And there will be a part de potpourri issue episode coming up in the future. I'm just teasing you. And that would be a great time if you have questions that you want to tee up. It's not too late to pose them and whatever. Give us feedback now, email, offline, however you do it. And uh, and and we'll, we'll weave it into the potpourri series. Yes. So options of how you can get those questions to us whatever platform you're on right now to watch this, you can leave a comment. Uh, I think actually the best place is going to be on LinkedIn because that's where I know everybody's going to be. So you can comment directly on this post. Yeah. That's Sounds a good, good thing. If you're already in our discord, you can do it there. You can hit me up on Twitter. Bob's off Twitter. I forgot about that. Um, or any other social media things that we're, we're on, just reach out to us. And if for some reason we miss it and we don't respond, Hit us up again. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and Charmin, thank you. Thank absolutely. you for giving us the feedback. So, Josh, let's stick a fork in it. Let's do it. So, so from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina. And beautiful downtown Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Hey. Oh, wait. Hold it. You are Josh Ace <laughs> Anderson. Shake? Yes. And big. Take care, y'all.